Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. A new year is a new chance to focus on you. You're probably already picturing yourself struggling at the gym, but not all self-help has to mean suffering. Squeeze.com is making it easier than ever to elevate your wellness by delivering a juice cleanse right to your doorstep. It's the easiest juice cleanse you'll ever do that may aid in weight loss, eliminating bloating, clearing your skin, boosting your energy levels, improving sleep, and breaking bad eating habits. Meet all your health goals from the comfort of your home. Get free same-day local delivery or fast free delivery nationwide with code WONDERY today at squeezed.com. All right, everybody. This Halloween, we're hosting a virtual live show with our good friends over at Colt Podcast. We're doing a double feature, uh, and it's part of uh, Panic Fest online tricks and treats event. Because of the pandemic, a lot of us aren't able to properly celebrate our favorite time of year. However, now we have an opportunity to have some spooky fun and help us out with some friendly folks in Kansas City. This is more, we're doing a, we're doing a team up as Horror Virgin and Cult Podcast, not romancing the pod, but it's still going to be fun. Yeah, so 25% of each purchase goes to help keep the Screenland Armor, one of our favorite theaters in America, in business. Additionally, we'll be releasing some limited edition merch. And from now until Thursday, October 8th, you can pre-order your own piece of Horror Virgin and Cult Podcast history. Tickets are on sale now for $20 and our shirts are available for $25. However, we're offering a bundle for $40 where you get both. It's going to be so much fun and we can't wait to see you all there. More information is available at cultpodcastshow.com. Remember that these shirts are super limited edition and are only available for pre-order until October 8th. See you all soon. Mmm, ooky spooky. Ooky spooky. I don't need no wine and dine. I want something high class. Like spending my nights at home romancing the podcast. Take a deeper dive into these movies that are trash. trash. Me what's in a bookstore. Thank you for tuning into Romancing the Pod. You had us at hello. I'm Paige Wesley. I'm Mikey. And I'm Todd. And this week we watched Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Yeah. So have you guys seen this movie before? Okay, I picked this movie yeah, because I love this movie. And I'll tell you why I love this movie. Tell me, Mikey. One, it's kind of boring. And then in fact, it's just like kind of two people who fall in love. And like, that's kind of what happens. And tennis, which <laughs> I don't really like the tennis part. <laughs> but I, I like this movie. It's an interesting romantic comedy because it's mostly from the male perspective. Yes, it is. Uh, which I find there's not a lot of movies like that. That's probably true, actually. I mean, it's all Paul Bettany internal monologue. We don't get anyone else's internal monologue. Yeah, and um, I I just think it's really sweet. And I have a I have a crush on uh, Kristen Dunst, and I think Paul Bettany rocks it in this movie. And we'll get we can get into this with the scenes, but like I really related to the character. I think not in a tennis way. <laughs> 
<laughs> not in the like super in shape way. Is that what you're saying, Mikey? I mean, yes. But- <laughs> <laughs> not where I played tennis every day. But I mean, uh, I also like there's in-universe explanations for them being rich and good-looking is that they are pro-athletes. Yes. So, boom. There you go. Nailed it. Paige, had you seen this movie before? I had not. I watched it for the first time yesterday. It was my first time, too. So what did you think about it? Uh, It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you asked three different people who worked on this movie what this movie is about, you'd get three different answers. Oh, interesting. <laughs> because I feel like... Now, I will... To Mikey's credit, they are not emotionally flawed individuals. They are seemingly regular people. I agree. Who fall in love in what seems to be a fairly real way. But then I feel like the movie completely forgets about that for the last half an hour plus of the movie where we just have to watch a tennis match in real time. And like, I I have played tennis just at like the park not any sort of i cannot wrap my brain around how tennis is scored at all never have been able to it's honestly really easy but see you say that but it made it so difficult for me to understand the stakes of that game because it's happening and people are like oh and i'm like is that bad is it good i don't know context clues if they go ooh, then yeah it's bad if they go yay it's good but then it was like good and then bad and then good and then bad and then good again and then i was like i think he won and <laughs> but my frustration is we just spent the first hour of this movie watching a very very touching romantic comedy that is a very down-to-earth romantic comedy and then the movie's just like that's not what this is about this is definitely about his tennis career and i'm like what the fuck are you talking about Uh but then i think here's the problem because neither of them are crazy, they don't have anything to do in this movie. It like hurt me to realize that where I was like, maybe this is why people are always crazy in rom-coms. Because when they're not crazy, there's nothing to watch. They're just happy. And that doesn't make for a good movie, apparently. So I don't hate this movie, but I don't love this movie. I would probably never watch it again, but it was fun. I love the first hour of this movie as well, and I think that's why I love this movie, and I think it's so hard to find romantic movies like this that I have to forgive the last 20 minutes because I enjoy having a movie where I don't hate the people the first hour, and I would change the ending to keep with the theme. Like, if he loses at the end, I think it would be way better. I think he should lose and that they shouldn't end up together, and then that would match the metaphor that they establish in the first hour of the film. No, I don't think they shouldn't end up together. That's too far. (laughs) You hurt Mikey's feelings. He was like, no. (laughs) Film school hat for a second. Yeah, we're getting high-roaded, Mikey. Yep. They establish in this film multiple scenes at which the characters, while falling in love, are viewing a comet in the sky, a thing that is only going to appear for a brief period of time, and then it's gone. And it's this wonderful thing to behold for a moment, but it is not a lasting phenomenon. And when... They have their fight. The comet disappears. And I would argue that this movie seeks to compare them to that comet, a thing that is wonderful and fascinating and once in a lifetime, but it doesn't last. And the fact that they end up together makes those comet scenes meaningless within the context of this film. And it shouldn't even be in. 
Okay, counterpoint. I feel like that was part of the metaphor of both of them thinking that the comet was like their professional careers plus personal lives of like, it's all, I worked hard at being tennis and all my professional life is like a comet. It's like, it just flies by, it burns hot and heavy, it burns out. It's just coincidence that it's happening. And then when they actually fall in love and they actually have a real fight, they start making the choice to be together. And it's not, and then that's when he stops believing in luck at that point. I do think, that's when he stops believing in luck. And, and he realizes you have to make a choice and work at re- actual relationships. And that's why I think they should end up together because they both kind of get rid of that of like, oh, you can't be here. That throws off my game. Or you can't. I need to do this because it does help my game. And then like they were treating the relationships like that, too, because they both had their different rituals for their relationships, too. And so it shows through his tennis and his relationships that he kind of let go of that life to like grow. And I think she did, too. I think if that's what they were going for. They did not do it well. Oh, 100%. Okay. <laughs> I was like, if that's the point, if that's the point they were trying to make, not well done because it definitely telegraphs an idea of a flash in the pan and then ruins it. But then the movie just goes, really concentrates on the tennis match. So it loses all semblance of yes, finishing off it, what it's trying to do. But I still love it. <laughs> no lie. Half an hour of tennis, just tennis. Nothing else. And if you don't know the rules of tennis, you're like, I don't, I'm confused. His back hurts. I can't imagine playing tennis <laughs> with, with a back injury. It sounds terrible. And a regular tennis match, a regular men's Wimbledon tennis match can go four or five hours easy. So Ugh. like you're on the court for four or five hours and you're allowed one bathroom break. Apparently, I didn't realize that. I, but this is the first time I had seen this movie and I loved this movie. I thought it was great. I was crying at multiple scenes. I just thought it was great. I grew up playing tennis because I had a babysitter who got me hooked on tennis and days of our lives. And my summers were never better. So like I could follow the scoring and stuff like that, the double faults and all of that shit. Like I was on board for it. So I could see how that would be annoying for the like the 30 minutes of tennis, especially that last yeah. tennis match. If you don't really quite know what's going on, you're like, can we just get back to the stuff I understand? Yeah. Yeah. It didn't bother me because I was on. I was like, oh, I know what's happening, you know? But, but Paige is right. It's like half the people are like, let's make a sports tennis movie, and half the people are like, let's make a romantic comedy. I mean, I agree. I just liked it because I like tennis. But I loved it. I know. <laughs> I know. And I liked it, too. But let's just let's just get into the movie because we're going to fucking talk okay. about all this. This was surprisingly highbrow analysis from us. I'm really proud of you guys. Oh, yeah, we've you, honestly, you. guys, we've come a long way since, <laughs> you know, a month ago. <laughs> <laughs> Last week when I cry laughed about monocles for 10 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. That episode is fire. All right. (laughs) So we open with a voiceover from Paul Bettany where he basically says we all start off in life with a dream. And he basically says, you know, for a tennis player, it's basically being at Wimbledon, smashing that final shot. And we see Kirsten Dunst kind of playing this out as he's narrating it. Yeah. And then he says, for most tennis players, that's all it ever is, a dream, and reality is another story. And we cut to him playing, and he's just getting his ass handed to him. He's getting served. Yeah. This is where we kind of learn through kind of a montage of him finishing that game, walking through the health club where he was playing, 
that he's at the end of his career and he's quote unquote getting old, but we also learn that he's only 31. Well, I mean, you sort of age out young in most professional sports and he's aging out. Like tennis is a hard game to Mm -hmm. play. He's still ranked, like he's ranked in the world. I think he's 119 or whatever. Yeah, he's 119. Yeah. And the ranking becomes kind of a recurring joke through this kind of montage that I love. I loved it too because he used to be ranked 11, but everyone keeps telling him he was ranked 14 or 19. Yeah, 15, 17. I love when he's outside in his car and he just hears those two ladies talking about him as they're walking by and he's like, oh, that's uh, Peter Colt. He was ranked 19th in the world a while ago. And he goes, I was 11. I love that. (laughs) What we see in these scenes is that he's getting an engraved nameplate at the health club where he's basically going to be their tennis director. So he's going to like teach people tennis and essentially retire. Yeah. He agrees to take the job. He's clearly not super happy about it, though. Right. Uh, But he does have a badass car. His whole family is super rich. They don't really talk about where their money comes from, but he has never worked a day in his life outside of tennis. One of my favorite moments of this movie is like, it's right in the beginning where he's like, you know, most people who really make it, they have to be, you know, they're usually hungry. And Mm -hmm. and he's pulled up to his house and he's like, as you can see, I've never been hungry. Yeah. Yeah. And like, he just acknowledges that he comes from this incredibly blessed life. Yeah. And like, has so much more advantages to people in in his monologue. And I'm like, wow, what a refreshing way to like acknowledge that in a movie. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a ton of math to do for this movie because it all makes sense in the real world. Yeah. That's one of the things I like about it. Yeah, this is a very down-to-earth movie where there was no, there was nothing in this movie that was glaring. Everyone seems to fit where they are. Everything seems to be in line with what would happen in a real situation. Yeah. He comes home to his family's house. It seems like his family is nowhere. He hears what sound like sex noises. Well, they are sex noises, Paige. They are sex noises. He walks in on his brother, uh, like speed biking, like like speed cycling. <laughs> yeah. While watching Deep Throat, and it took me like two different scenes to realize that his brother was James McAvoy. Really? <laughs> I knew it right away. I was like, "That's James McAvoy, and that dude is awesome. I love James McAvoy." I mean, the cast of this yeah. movie is killer. It is a killer. Yes, cast. absolutely. I did not realize it was James McAvoy until two scenes later where I was like, where, where does James McAvoy come from? Oh, that was the brother. Oh, okay. Did you hear him say it wasn't just Deep Throat? It was the director's cut. Of yeah, it Deep was the Throat, director's cut, of which Deep I don't Throat. know if that exists, but I I'm going to have to do a Google does. search after this. I don't think it does. <laughs> and at this part, he's like, also, some people who make it really big champions have supported families. And as you can see, I do not have one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His mom and dad are outside fighting in yeah. the garden. <laughs> and his brother, we're, we're going to find out as the movie goes on that his brother has a bit of a gambling problem and routinely bets against him. Yeah. And we <laughs> yes. find out that he's like been on this losing streak for like three years or two years or something like that. And so like five, bet- five oh, for years. five years. Yeah. OK. Yeah. So, but betting on him, if he's on this like incredibly bad losing streak is a good bet. You're so wrong, Todd. No, I'm just saying it's the right thing to do. Financially (laughs) Yeah financially You can still be supportive And hope your brother wins But like If you want to make some money Bet on reality right I mean listen James McAvoy shows up At the final match At the end But you know he lost A hundred quid on that match Oh easily (laughs) Spoilers At the end He does say he bet 
on his brother. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it was kind of like dodgeball where it seems like it looks like someone's going to bet against somebody and then they bet for somebody and they end up winning. Yeah. So in the scene, Paul Bettany is telling his mom that he's going to retire and his mom's kind of not having it, which I kind of like. His mom does the thing that my parents do whenever they have to watch one of my comedy shows and they're like, you're so much funnier than everyone else. And I'm like, that's that's not reality, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice because my mom won't even listen to these podcasts that we do. Oh, my parents listen to every podcast I'm on. Oh, I love that your parents are supportive. That means they had to listen to the last one. My mom skipped the Fifty Shades episode. My mom listened to the Fifty Shades episode and then texted me and was like, how dare you analyze that as if it's an actual book? <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> so his mom says, I believe you to be a truly great tennis player. And he says back to her, I'm old. And she says, you're only 31. But he then basically says, I'm tired of losing and all of the travel. And he mentions basically long distance relationships that don't go anywhere. So essentially, he's just tired of the lifestyle of being a pro tennis player and has been losing for five years. Yeah, it's like some guy who's been focusing on his professional life and now really wants to like get married and have a kid and he's like struggling to find someone to settle down with. And I just like thought of like, I wonder if I knew anyone like that that's like really <laughs> trying to find true love and just like really having a hard time meeting someone that is, you know, on his level. I think I'm really going to meet somebody this year, though. <laughs> I think he's in my living room uh, smoking pork ribs right now. <laughs> oh, I think I'm going to meet him this year. God, just rub it in. Rub it in, Paige. I mean, I think you guys can see why I relate to this movie. Yeah. When he was yeah. saying those things, I was like, oh, I know Mikey thinks he's Paul Bettany. <laughs> you know that's my internal. His whole first 15 minutes is like basically internal monologue, like yeah. telling the audience his life. It's actually pretty charming because he's pretty funny his internal monologue. Paul Bettany's amazing, and I, I agree. He's very, very charming for an ugly British man. But I mean... <laughs> for me, he vacillates between being incredibly attractive and ugly in this movie, and it's second to second, whether or not I'm going to be into it or not. I agree 100%. He's the male uh, Hillary Swank. <laughs> see, I think Hillary Swank is attractive most of the time. I, I don't necessarily see the same flashes. But with Paul Bettany, there are scenes where I'm like, yeah... I get it. And then uh, like just the light will catch him wrong. And I'm like, oh, Skeletor. Like it's just <laughs> when he walks in the room with just sweatpants on. You're like, oh, he could get it. Yes. But like when he's sweaty at the tennis match, you're like, I'm out. Yes. Yes. That is what it is. Because like it, when they're like cuddling and hanging out, I'm like, yes, I get it. I'm here for it. But right. then whenever he's playing tennis in this movie, I'm just like, oh, monster. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is why I love this film. So like me personally, I'm very good at my job. Not to brag. Not to brag. I've been doing it for 12 years. I do crisis intervention and you're like a licensed therapist and you're humble like the most humble yeah, like yeah, no yeah. one's more humble than <laughs> I you i hate you guys but i mean <laughs> i try to explain to people i mean i am i've talked people down and of like you know putting the gun down from their head or like talking about the tree like and it's like very purposeful work and like you think it's like your life purpose but also there's so much more that you yeah. want in life and so like i feel like the same struggle with him like of like well if i'm not this guy who like tries to help people who are suicidal who am i and I really like that dynamic as he's going through because he's like, I'm tired of this life, but who am I once I stop? 
And he like goes through that the whole time. And I feel like that's what the movie ultimately is about. Like, I think I would enjoy this movie if they didn't end up together at the end of it, or maybe there wasn't even a really heavy romantic thing. I think I would still like this movie. I'm not sure I would like it as much, but I do like a movie about a guy who's coming to grips with him. Maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but him getting older and like, I need to move on in my life and decide you know, maybe it's time for me to start dating seriously and maybe I should like really try to get off these dating apps and just find one person, Mikey, that I would like to maybe spend a long, long time with. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Agreed. I do think that is the theme of this movie and I do think the waters get muddied. Yeah. I think that's where it's kind of a problem for me where I'm like, is it a great romantic comedy or is it his story of realization of the changes in his life? Yeah. I feel like if we had a Wimbledon too, where we came back and he was in the booth with John McEnroe and he fell in love with Kirsten Dunst in that movie. That would be a better series because in the first movie, he comes to grips with he needs to move on with a chapter of his life. And then maybe there's a fling in the first one, but it doesn't they don't end up together. And then he falls in love with a tennis pro who wins Wimbledon. That would be cool. So you want like a before sunrise, but with Wimbledon, like a before Wimbledon. There's nothing better than the before trilogy in my mind as far as <laughs> this podcast goes. I feel like it is a much more impactful story if it is only a fling because he then sees reflected in her the life that he is leaving behind and instead we get a mishmash which makes neither story as impactful as it could be i'll agree with all of that i still loved this movie (laughs) (laughs) thank you so uh we learned during the scene that there's some family unrest his dad is moving up into the tree house yeah like a kid (laughs) from the lucky one he's living in a tree house in their backyard Yeah, uh, his mom is obsessed with her gardening. His brother's obsessed with porn and gambling. And he doesn't want any of them to come see him at Wimbledon. Because they're bad luck, Paige. Did you guys notice that his brother was a professional tennis player? What? No. Yeah, he only played foursomes. (laughs) 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 Boo. No, but I mean, in those scenes when he's like crashing at Pete's flat, there's two guys and two girls in every scene. He's got a best friend. But it's a different person every time. Yeah. Oh, is it? Yeah, it's not a best friend. It's just he always travels in a crew. Yeah, they're FetLife hookups that he's attending at the flat. I'm just saying. So the next scene we cut to is Peter driving up to the Hotel Dorchester. He checks in and the woman checking him in doesn't even pay enough attention to him to hand him the right key. She just hands him a key, says it's the top floor of the wonderful view, and he's like, I'm confused. That's That can't be right. He gets up there. It is a gorgeous suite. Yeah. But he can hear the shower going, which has this ever happened to you? I have had something like this happen to me, Paige, because I I used to travel a lot for my job and I honestly did until COVID. Like I was on the road two weeks a month, but like it wasn't quite as lovely as what happened here, though. Yeah. Because I just walked in and someone was in his boxers and like a T-shirt eating pizza alone. Oh, no. (laughs) What is wrong with that, Todd? (laughs) When it happened to me, I opened the door and there was luggage on the bed. So it was somebody else's luggage. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, bye. Uh, but he walks in, he hears the shower going, and turns and can fully see Kristen, Kristen Dunst in the shower. Yeah, we jump a lot of steps in this movie. Like, he sees her naked in the first 10 minutes of the movie. In Paul Bettany's defense, when he initially turns towards her, there's frosted glass except for her head. Right. She decides to get out of the shower. Yes. And we find this out later. She sort of already had a thing for him. 
but they had never officially met. Yes. yes. And we'll talk about that when we get there because that's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Okay, so like basically he's like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And then she gets yeah. out of the shower and she's like, wrong room. And I guess we later we learn that she knows who he is. Yes. But this is the first time they've officially met, right? Right. And also she has a habit during tournaments to like find a guy to hook up with. And she is really aggressive in coming on to Paul. Yeah. So he's like, I guess I'll leave. And then he like tries to back out, but goes into the wrong room and it's the kitchen it's the of the kitchen. hotel. Yeah. <laughs> it's lovely kitchen. Yeah. I love it. He's like, goodbye. And, and may I say goodbody? I mean, goodbye. I mean, he just, he's just <laughs> so charming. I love him so much in this movie. Then we do see him get to his actual hotel room, which is not at all exciting. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like a shoebox compared to her room. Yeah. It's a pretty realistic hotel room depiction yeah. in a movie. I completely agree. But she is like top 10 ranked. I'm not sure if what her rank is. I'm not sure if they ever say it. But she is like elite level. She's got to be one or two because she's favored to win. Yeah. And when she doesn't, it's like an upset. Yeah. So she's like way, way, way higher on the hierarchy of tennis players than he is. Right. So I thought that that was a nice juxtaposition. So we cut to we see her in an interview. Yeah. And she avoids like actively avoids talking about her personal life. And they're basically commenting on her kind of being unsportsmanlike, where she's so competitive that she's not great on the court as yeah. far as, like, attitude goes. That she does it to get in her opponent's heads. And I wrote at that point in my notes... Kristen has a sort of John McEnroe vibe in her interview, and I am here for it. And they even do like yeah. a cutaway of her yelling at the line judge, which is yes. a John McEnroe move. And like 20 minutes later, when John McEnroe is the announcer, I was like, yes, I love this dude. At one point, John McEnroe just says, I would have lit this place on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, if you know who John McEnroe is, that's hilarious. Like a handful of yeah. times, he's like, if I had a call like that, I would murder somebody. And you're just like, <laughs> you damn well would. Paige, I feel like this movie is Shakespeare in love for tennis people. It is. I'll agree. It must be. And yeah. I am just one of those people. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to my. Of course you are, Todd babysitter when i was a kid there you go we cut to they're going into the practice gym and the guy checking them into the gym says the same thing to every person that comes in i don't know if you guys noticed he's like it's your year and it's like it can't be everybody's year <laughs> i didn't notice that <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious it's really really funny they go out to practice so he's practicing with jamie lannister and then jamie lannister decides to leave and so he's trying to practice his serve can I just say Jamie Lannister's German accent is terrible in this movie. Yeah. Oh, it's bad. But he does play a very charming best friend for And I love I love their relationship and I love Jamie Lannister. I feel like he's an amazing amazing actor, but he comes off like he's not a great actor because he's doing that really bad German accent. Yeah. Well, this is like probably one of his first roles. I think this is one of his first movies. I do like their friendship though. Me too, it's great. It's it establishes that they're practice partners and they always practice together on the road. Yeah. And they're like best they're like best buddies. Yeah. And what I, what I like about this movie is like they set him up for some conflict but like they respond how like real adult males would do well like yeah. hopefully healthy people would do and be like like they have like a you're still my best friend moment and it's like yeah it's really nice to see a movie with like a bunch of those moments in of like oh this is what like nice people do okay that steam room scene you're talking about after he beats him i cried during I did not cry, but I did really like that scene. And for that exact reason, because yeah. I do think that's how 
grown adults who had been friends for such a long time and had played together for such a long time would respond. Yeah. So he's practicing his serve. He's got like the the tubes that the balls come in and he's setting them up and trying to hit that exact spot with his serve, which is like not easy to do. No, he's crushing it though. And I bet if you're on that level, that does not surprise me that you could do that. Yeah, and essentially, Kirsten Dunst interrupts his practice. Yes, she pursues him. Yeah, she does. I do really like about this movie that I think she's a fully fleshed out character. I think she makes her own decisions. She's not a damsel in distress. She does go after him. I wish this movie passed the Bechdel test, but it does not. No, it does not. I paid attention to it this time when I watched it. I was really sad because I do feel like she's a very well-rounded character. She is, but did you notice that there's only, I think, of people who have lines, five women in this movie total who have lines. Yeah, it's not it's not great. Yeah, it's it's pretty rough. <laughs> I apologize on the front end. But I think part of that is because we're seeing it from Paul Bettany's perspective. Yes, yeah. which changes the dynamic a lot. It, well, and he's playing in the male tournament, so he's going to interact with mostly men. So she starts serving, she gets multiples in a row, and they start kind of placing bets where she, he's like, I'll, you know, hit another one and it'll be 10 quid or hit another one, it'll be fish and chips. And she finally says, if you can make this one, I'll sleep with you. And he totally blows it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's a romantic comedy joke I can get behind. Yeah, it, <laughs> it was honestly very, very funny. So he misses that shot. He says, fish and chips it is then. And her dad basically shows up and pulls her away. Her dad played by Sam Neill of Jurassic Park fame. Who is amazing. And he honestly does a great job. And I dare say Sam Neill has like the hardest line to walk in this film of like being kind of a dick about the relationship, mm -hmm. but not to the point where he's the villain. Because I, I mean, like, I feel like he's pretty well rounded as the movie goes on. I sort of agree because the, he's played like the gatekeeper for his daughter, Kirsten Dunst, right? And he does walk that line of sort of being sweet and sort of having decent-ish boundaries, yeah. especially more towards the end. And you can tell he kind of likes Paul Bettany at the end. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, I, I do think he's not great towards the beginning of the film. I feel like I understand his motivation, though. Same. Like, Oh, absolutely. I feel like he has more characterization than Kirsten Dunst does. I can see that. And so that's where I was kind of like, yeah, I get him. He's great. Uh, she, We do cut to a scene, uh, arguably from the next day, where she hits a ball. They call it out. She yells at the ref. But then she comes back and immediately wins the next serve. So, like, she is unflappable. She's going to win no matter what, basically, is what the movie is establishing. Yeah. Yeah. Then we cut to uh, Paul Bettany and Jamie Lannister basically saying, you know, when's your match? It's with that young guy. They point him out in a restaurant and it's a young uh, Indian guy. <laughs> yeah, he's like 16 years old. Yes. And they basically say all the young guys are out to destroy us. We reveal that this 16 year old kid beat Jamie Lannister last yeah. year. <laughs> <laughs> and he warns him to watch out for his backhand. I love this scene because Jamie Lannister's like, all men that age want to kill their father and we are older and th therefore represent their fathers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we do get this internal monologue from Paul Bettany that's like, this is the end. This is where my career is going to end. But then kind of luck of the draw, he beats that kid. Yeah. So, I mean, I like it. He's like walking out like, well. I mean, I don't want to go out badly in the first round. It would be great right. if I could win some sets, but I yep. don't want to go out badly in the first round. And then he right. does break the guy's serve, and then he 
he wins. Uh, we cut to back at his parents' house where we're seeing that there's bunnies in their garden. It's very, yeah. very cute. Uh, and his mom and dad, even though they're not interacting with each other, they're listening to the radio of the match. And they're not admitting that they're both listening to it. I think the dad's actually watching the TV that's in his treehouse. And the yes. mom is out there in the garden listening. Yes. She's like, I'm not interested in the match. I'm just out here to garden or whatever. But she's really out right. there to listen to the match. Absolutely. And we do see the bunny, but then at the end of the movie, we see them eating the bunny. Yeah, that's fair, because bunnies ruin gardens. Well, but maybe don't eat it. <sighs> Whatever. I didn't like that very much. We didn't have to see it die. Uh... <laughs> but we did have to see them grill it? Like, I don't know. Well, we, like... I, I took that as him doing something for her, because the bunnies were yeah. ruining her garden, so he took care of the problem. With both arson and murdering animals. So we're back at Christian Grey again. (laughs) I 100% just want to watch him running around the backyard trying to capture that bunny. (laughs) So we cut to a press conference where they're asking Paul Bettany about the person he just beat. Only three reporters in the whole press conference. There's only like three <laughs> reporters. We also, this is where we find out that it's his 13th Wimbledon. So he's basically been playing since he was 18, or at least playing at that level since he was 18. Yeah. I do love that he's just super charming with them, but they don't really care that much. They They're don't there care. because. It's an oddity that he made it through the first round. So the three reporters that gave a shit about that are there. And then he yes. starts to announce his retirement. And then like the Justin Bieber of Wimbledon walks in. <laughs> yeah. And everyone. <laughs> uh, did you guys notice this? There were only three reporters there. But when he walks in, other reporters just swarm him. Like there were three. And then when he walks in, there are 20. And he goes on to announce his retirement, but none of them are listening. (laughs) It was amazing. Uh, Anyway, so that guy comes in. There's a million paparazzi. No one cares that Paul Bettany's retiring. And it's a wash. That that press conference is useless. We cut to Kirsten Dunst going into the hotel through just a sea of paparazzi. And the other tennis guy, the one that we just saw be pretty famous, is trying to get her attention. And she does not. Yeah, she blows him off. So we see Paul Bettany get to his room and she's left him a message about fish and chips. And he's super surprised. I would be too. I would be. I mean, I would be too. His internal monologue is so funny because he's like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. He tries out different types of underwear, which I thought was pretty funny (laughs) and ends up going commando. Yeah. Like that's that's what he settles on, which is great. Sometimes you got to have that commando confidence, man. Yep. You're not talking about Mikey? No. <laughs> he gets ready and he goes up to meet her with fish and chips in tow. Yeah, they're wrapped up, but yeah, he brings them with him. And this is the first time that we hear about the comet. It's on the news in the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is where he's got like, he's cut himself shaving. He's got like a little tiny piece of toilet paper stuck to his face. <laughs> it is cute when she takes off his bloody. Yeah, that was real cute. I thought it was funnier when he was like, hey, I brought fish and chips. Are you hungry? And she's like, not yet. <laughs> what she basically basically does is like leave those fish and chips there uh do yeah. you want to fool around before the match because that's the real reason i called you yeah she asks <laughs> yeah. like what what's your policy on fooling around before a match because fooling around can be really good for your game 
And, yeah. uh, you know, he's like, um, you know, I haven't done the proper research. I feel like he's very charming. It's definitely something I would have said. Absolutely. I, I don't think it would have worked as well for you or I, but like, I think he <laughs> crushes it. He's so, he's so charming. Yeah. These are the parts of the movies that I like because they are very, very fun together. They fool around. They do eventually eat the fish and chips. Yeah, they do. But then she basically <laughs> tells him no one can know about this, especially not her dad. Yeah. That's like a real Mikey move. <laughs> Like, hey, I realized we just fooled around and then we ate food, but like, you, you gotta go and don't tell anyone about this. Especially my mom. <laughs> Too bad. She's listening to this. Does it make your serve mushy? It makes my serve mushy. She explains that her dad is not pro her hooking up with dudes during a tournament because she he thinks it messes with her game. Right. I do like that her dad doesn't care that she's hooking up with people. It's just during the tournament. Like, he is fine with her being a sexual being, which I think is nice to see in a movie like this. And she's very sex positive, which is also nice to see in a movie like this. But he just doesn't want her doing it because it messes with her game. And you can tell when she gives this talk to Paul Bettany that he's like, whatever, I'll take what I can get. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Where he's like... <laughs> All of this is unexpected gains already. <laughs> Who'd have thought that a human skeleton wrapped in skin could achieve this? I watched this with my mom and she was like, he's not attractive. And I was like, oh. <laughs> That's, he has his moments. He has his moments. Yeah, I mean, when he's being charming in the hotel, he can get it. When he's sliding around on the court, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They end up hooking up again after that. They basically stayed all night hooking up. Yeah. And we know because the next day while he's playing, he's hung over. Yeah, well, and he's like worn out and tired. And he's like, man, I can't, I can't do this. <laughs> yeah. And he's losing. Like, he is yeah. losing. And we cut away to the old ladies at his health club back home talking about his stamina. I did love the old lady <laughs> cutaways at the club because they were so funny. And his internal monologue is basically like, well, at least there's no one here to see this. Yeah. <laughs> and then she shows up. So he has to basically fight back and start winning. This is also the first time that we reveal that he has, I, I kept calling it a caddy. I don't know what it is in tennis. It's a ball boy. It's coincidence that that guy stays with him the whole time. Yeah, that okay, ball boy yeah. is just like he's working Wimbledon and I don't even know yeah. if you work or volunteer like I don't, I don't know if those are paid positions because they're I like kids normally but he becomes like Paul Bettany's good luck charm or at least I think he sort of sees him that way in the movie yeah she shows up and he starts winning yes uh, and now he's through to the second round so and he's super surprised the whole monologue when she shows up and he starts playing better he's like I don't know how I'm playing better and it's really funny yeah. <laughs> now, at this point, Sam Neill pulls her away because she's got other things to do. Yeah. And essentially, everyone is surprised because the person he beat was seated. Yes. And he hasn't beat a seated person in the last three years it establishes. So he's been bad for a while, but he's been extra bad for the last three years. Yeah. Then we reveal that his next match is against his practice partner, Dieter, Jamie Lannister, or N Nikolai coster Wall. Jamie Lannister. His name's Jamie Lannister. Jamie from now. Lannister. Yeah, it's, yeah, we're not gonna we're not gonna try. Yeah, he's a great actor. He is a great actor. Uh, he's not great in this movie. And I think it's because he was forced to play a German. I have to point this out about the match he won. I know yeah. why he started winning, and it's not because Kirsten Dunst showed up. Her name's Lizzie. It's not because yeah. Lizzie showed up. It's because the guy had his hat on backwards, but he was facing the sun. 
So every time he's on that side of the court, he couldn't do anything because the sun was in his eyes and he's not smart enough to turn the bill of his hat around. So it blocks out the sun. So he calls the hotel to try and talk to Kirsten Dunst and starts talking before she officially answers the phone. And we find out that he's talking to her dad. So funny. And he hangs up on him. This is while they're walking down the street, he and Jamie Lannister. And I love the conversation they're having because they're trying to pull out of each other what their weaknesses are. Like, (laughs) so how's that? uh, It's that bad knee, right? You have that bad knee, right, Mikey? (laughs) Well, how's that shoulder? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I really, I really like that. You can tell they're very, very close and they don't want to be against each other, but they are and they're still going to love each other. They're just like giving each other shit. I liked it. There's such a rare representation of healthy relationships in film in general but i think agree ma- male friendships as well i mean this was like a very healthy male friendship of like did you meet a special lady i mean like yeah. even when he talks about him dating someone or hooking up with someone it's done in a very respectful way and it's not like super trashy and like it just seems it's just it's nice to have like realistic relationships portrayed in a movie agree but before he goes on that walk with jamie lannister and they talk about that stuff he goes back in and does another press conference and he walks in and he's like i thought i had done my last one of these oh yeah and the press corps goes yeah we did too (laughs) (laughs) i thought that that was awesome but he's super charming that's where we find out that he has to face his best friend. And the movie kind of sets it up like, oh, this is going to be like a conflict. Like it kind of has like musical cues and like kind of scene shot where like, but then they're like walking through the park and it's nice and charming again. Yeah. Now he does go to the clubhouse where he runs into friends, basically tells people that he's looking for Lizzie and they say that he should look for Jake. Yeah, Jake Jake being that like number one male player that he's going to play in the finals, but the right. guy who used to be hooking up with Lizzie. Now, did mm-hmm. you guys notice that this is like early 2000s and the, the woman he runs into who gives him that information mm-hmm. introduces her partner, which I thought was really, really cool to see that sort of like positive lesbian relationship that early in the 2000s. Yeah. I think it's because the bulk of this movie, I think, was made in Europe or in the UK. That makes sense. That I mean, it's Wimbledon, so that does make sense. But I thought that, that was cool. Like, you just didn't see much of that early 2000s. And it's not played up. Like, everything no. is just kind of done, like, real classy. Yeah, it seemed yeah. it seemed like it was, like, the most normal thing. It's almost like a mm-hmm. throwaway. They didn't need to do that, but they did. Right. They included it, which I thought was cool. So he runs into Sam Neill in the clubhouse. Yeah. And... Sam Neill basically says, I don't want my daughter to have any distractions. He says, do you see me as a distraction? And he says, stop looking for her. Stop calling. Yeah. And Sam Neill's not overtly mean. He's just pretty clinical about it. Yeah. Paul Bedney is trying to be charming and stuff. He's like, well, you, do you see me as a distraction? He's like, right. Yeah. Listen, dude, just just don't call and don't try to find her. It's it's just a it's just a thing. Just let's just drop this. But I do get the impression that if they weren't at Wimbledon, if they, if they weren't at a tennis match, he wouldn't care. I think he actually liked him. Yeah. yeah. Same. I, I think he ends up liking him. I don't think he knows him at this point, but I do think yeah. by the end of the movie same. that he likes him and approves. He just wishes it wasn't happening during Wimbledon. Yes. I think at this point, Sam Neill sees Paul Bettany as just the next guy. Yes. Uh, Now, at this point, the games get rained out because it is the UK and they have to pause. And as he's leaving, essentially, the place where all the courts and the games are, he sees a hand waving from a car. Well, yeah, because him and Jamie Lannister, they're like still picking on each other. Yes. And then he's like, 
who's that? Jamie Lannister's like, who's that? He's like, well, that's who I'm going to spend my night with. Yeah. Well, he says, I think I will. And Jamie Lannister says, I think you will, too. (laughs) 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 So they go out for sushi. And this is where she reveals that she knew who he was when he came into her room initially. So what she says is, I saw you play last year. So it was when he was super bad and was ranked in the hundreds. Yeah. And essentially he loses because he was kind to the ball girl. Yeah, she gets hit with like a 140 mile hour ball and he ends up picking her up and really caring about her and and taking her off and make sure she finds the first aid kit and all that other stuff. But then she says, I thought you were an asshole to lose like that when you played so beautifully. Yeah, that is what she said. Because she values winning above everything. Yes. I I would argue that she has a vulnerability problem. And oh, yeah, she is. She's saying in the same sentence, I saw what kind of person you are when no one is looking. And I was attracted to that kind of kindness. But also, I'm afraid to talk like that. Because I'm really competitive and I'm not very vulnerable and my relationships are short. I'm going to say none of that is said in the film. And this is you, you putting yourself in his shoes. Yeah. (laughs) But I am also going to say that within the last year, she would have been ranked in the top 10. And for me, it is unrealistic that she would have been watching a match with someone ranked in the hundreds. To me, it is almost unfathomable that she would have even seen this match and the movie doesn't need it. I liked it because for me, it sets up that she maybe wasn't going to pursue him at Wimbledon until he walked into her room, but she always like had a thing for him, even though they had never met. So I like that part of it. And to me, it's not outlandish for someone who's ranked in the 100s to be seen by someone who's ranked highly just because they go, they still go to the same tournaments. That's true. I mean, I've been to a lot of like events like this where, you know, you're competing at like an elite level in something, right? And there's a lot of downtime as a performer. Like we used to joke about it. It's like the big hurry up and wait. Yeah. Like you rush to these cities and then you sit around for 18 hours until your turn. Right. Mm -hmm. So like there's a lot of that where you're watching other people. So I sort of bought that and I liked it. I did think it was really sweet that he openly gives her credit in this scene for his last win. He was like, I was out of the match until I saw that you were there watching me and I wanted to turn it on for you. And he like legit gives her credit for his win. And that compliment, it was a bullseye. You could just tell. Oh, she yeah. Liked it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I must just be coming at this front. I being a, a wildly competitive person, it's not enough for me to be in a male dominated entertainment field. I have to do death matches of insulting people like that's how bad it is. <laughs> And like, it is the same thing of like roast battle. I show up at 10, but I don't go on until one because I'm the main battle, but I don't sit around and watch the early ones. I I'm preparing, I'm doing my own thing. And so for me, putting myself in her shoes, I'm like, I would have never seen that match. I I, I got better things to do. But you're comparing uh, an event that goes on for four hours at a club to an event that goes on for two weeks. But then she's playing through those two weeks. So, like, wouldn't she be preparing for her own matches? You guys are really parsing this out. Yeah. It is a movie. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> I just felt like I was like, this is unnecessary. And to me, within this world makes no sense. No, Paige, we all have one of these little things that happens in I a know. movie that we can't let go of. And I'm, I'm giving it to you. I get it. I just liked it because I thought it gets some characterization. But I can see your point as well. So we cut to a montage of them basically falling in love in the park, scored to the song This Year's Love, which is in yeah. like 
every romantic movie. Yes, so good. It is a great <laughs> song. I like. Here's what's terrible. I love this song. I love David Gray in general. I think the first time I heard the song was Girl Next Door, which I do love, and we absolutely need to do. We at some have point. to do it. But now, whenever I hear this song in movies, I'm just like, oh, I love this song. Yes, yes. I'm so glad you liked it because I was like, this is cliche, but like good cliche. Yeah, yeah. And they also they are walking around this park, and it's it's the park that's right by the palace. I can't remember the name yeah. of it. I was there last year, Mikey. Oh, here we go. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm world traveled, Mikey. But they look up and they see the comet, which is not Haley's comet; it's some other comet. No, it's a fictional random comet. Oh, okay. So it's like a Haley's comet that they couldn't get the rights to. I guess they couldn't afford the NASA rights to Haley's comet. <laughs> and, and she basically tells him to wish on his next match which again is setting up like she only cares about winning that's yeah. that's where her mind is at i think he wishes for happiness but not with ten- i think he wishes for outside tennis stuff and i think it kind of implies that i i would agree with you i mean I, yeah. that's headcanon and i cannot prove it based on the things on the screen but i would right. agree with you i think he's wishing like i wish i could feel like this with her every day or like yeah. have something like this real mikey i could just picture you by yourself hands in your pockets walking around the parthenon downtown nashville looking up at the stars thinking these like thoughts and that warms my heart so much for you. <laughs> i mean that's a pretty good insight about who i am (laughs) and this next conversation is she basically is telling him like you have to you have to beat your friend you have to kill your friend in the next round everyone's competed in something have you destroyed a friend in competition oh yeah did it make you feel bad no oh yes not at all yeah It didn't. It's complex, isn't it? I mean, I felt really good that I won, you know? But yeah. I also like, oh, I don't want to hurt this friendship. I'll argue that if you have a good friendship, then it wouldn't destroy it. And and yes. in the situation that I was in, it was clear that I was going to win just because the thing we were competing in, just by happenstance, I was a lot better than him at. And he's a lot better than me at other things. Like, And he was like completely fine with it. It wasn't a problem, you know? Right. But it just happened that we were together and I destroyed him. But like he would destroy me in almost any other thing. It's just like I was better at that. I think that's something this movie does really well when it when it portrays their friendship is that it doesn't hurt their friendship at all for him to beat him. Yeah. But there is those like weird anxiety emotions of like, will this affect our friendship? Yeah. I have a really good friend that I have beat twice at roast battle and beat in overtime twice. Oh, and it made us closer friends because he was just like, damn it. I almost got you. And then there's constant like rematch and it's like a thing, but it's super fun. Like Hulk ultimate warrior. Yeah, I got it. Yeah. Uh, So James McAvoy bets against his brother again. So he like is positioned in the first time we meet him. Like he might be a professional cyclist, but the only time we ever see him riding in like legit cyclist gear is down to this betting place. We never see him doing anything like, professional on any level yeah i it's his character is baffling but also really enjoyable i loved him yeah i loved him so much because he's consistently betting against his brother is this when he meets that woman yes this is where he yeah. meets the girl i yeah, love yeah, when yeah. she's like i'm passionate about chat rooms and he's like same or whatever you said it doesn't <laughs> yeah, matter doesn't matter so we cut to him and jamie lannister are in the steam room after their match and essentially everyone's saying like he destroyed his friend he didn't just beat his friend he like murdered his friend but they're still (laughs) friends about it 
And Jamie Lannister says, you hit from the soul, from the heart. And he's like, oh, it's the girl from the taxi. And this is yep. where they talk about Lizzie for the first time because they're friends and they're sharing it. And it's kind yeah. of nice. A few things about this scene, because this really touched me in a very sad, special way. I loved Jamie Lannister's reaction to losing because I feel like that is the harder thing to handle. And he just does such a good job of you beat me but we're brothers. I love you. You need to move on and just crush this next guy. And then they start talking about Lizzie. And I, (laughs) I I did really love Paul Bettany was like, do you think I'm dumb enough to get involved with a woman at Wimbledon? And, And they both say at the same time, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> yeah. Don't have to do that. Well, he does. He does. He says. He says you're you're playing with like heart and passion that I have not seen you play with before. Yeah, and I think that's really sweet. It is really sweet. So he gets back to his hotel room. He's got eight messages. One is from the club, the health club, where he's taking a job where the ladies send their regards. Yeah. Uh, one is from Lizzie telling him that she has a free day the next day. Yes. One's from his mother. And then he has to answer the door because the doorbell rings and it's Ron, John Favreau, who is his I fucking love John Favreau, dude. Former agent. Right? I think he's his current agent, but because he's ranked 119, you never yeah. hear from your agent. Right. Which they sort of talk about here. They do because he says, I called you a year ago and he's like, I'm more of an email guy. And he's like, that's a lie. Yeah. And I love that Pete calls him out on it. He's like, giving him shit he's like now that i'm hot stuff you want to be here to make money off of me and ron does a good job of being like hey i only make money if you make money so let's make money together and well, he's like i sell a product and if the product sucks i can't sell it but <laughs> yeah. you're hot yeah. right now exactly do you want to make money or not yeah exactly <laughs> yeah, well, and he negotiates at half rate which is insane and ron's like no listen everyone pays 10 percent." and pete's like well fine i'll find someone else and he's like okay f- five sounds good five sounds good yeah, so yeah, yeah. this movie movie only makes sense with Paul Bettany being like super likable to everyone in his life. You could, yeah. It's like most yeah. people would not be this nice to him, but he's like well, super charming and nice to everybody. Yes. I mean, to be fair, agents are bottom feeders. An agent would absolutely take that deal just to get back into the, the running. I think so too, yeah. So Ron, his agent, tells him that there's a cocktail party that they basically have to go to that night. They go to the cocktail party. Lizzie's there and they pretend not to know each other. And Ron sees through it immediately. Yeah. Immediately. And they tell him that he can have 10% of their kids. Yeah. (laughs) And agents are like bottom feeders. He's going to take 10% of those kids because there's no way those kids at the end are not tennis pros. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) This is also where we find out that he's also representing Jake, the other one. So he's representing a number of people at Wimbledon. Yeah, all three of them. uh, Both Lizzie, Paul, and Jake. Sam Neill is trying to ruin it. (laughs) Like he always does. Like he always does. And Kirsten Dunst and Paul Bettany escape into like... um, It's the London Eye. I thought it was the London Eye, but then they seem to be able to get in and out of it a little too easy. And I think that's just movie magic. That's because they cheat out of it. So they cheat out of it because they're like at the top of the London Eye. And then they turn around and Jake is there. And Jake's like confronting Lizzie, Kirsten Dunst. And like really sort of insults her. So Paul punches him in the face. But yes. what really would have happened if they were at the top of the London Eye is they would have had to stay there for 30 minutes <laughs> until it rides all the way down with Jake with a black eye. But they yeah. cheat out of it. They like run out of there and then go immediately out. I And I love the, the witty yeah. dialogue because Jake basically implies that he like slut shames her. 
Yeah. So Paul punches him and he's like, oh, I've never done that before. And she's like, well, you were so good at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he's like, oh, my hand. <laughs> but as they're running out, like photographers are taking their photo and they're yes. sort of becoming a story that's going on during Wimbledon. Like their romance is. Yes. So Sam Neill's mad. He watches them drive away. And they're kissing. They almost cause a car accident. Yeah. Oh, they drive for hours. They leave this party. It's probably 830 at night when they leave. And they drive around until sunrise. They literally are driving to Scotland. <laughs> I, having been to England, you could drive across England in just a couple yeah. hours. Yeah, no joke. I drove from London to Scotland. It did not take that long. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it seems like they just drove around all night is yeah. what it seems like. Which, if they had a scene where they were just talking all night, driving around could have been cute i just think this was an inconsistency and it drives me crazy every time i see this movie yeah because i'm like what are they doing all night because then yeah. they stay up the whole other night they haven't slept in like 48 hours we do find <laughs> out uh from they have a conversation like kind of right after because they drive out into his hometown and that's when they kind of start talking in the car yeah. and she says that her parents are a mess um and that her mom i think wanted to be a singer, a singer. yeah yeah but she couldn't sing so didn't work out too well <laughs> Didn't work out great. This is also where we find out that um, his parents are a mess because they're together but not happy. Yeah. She says she doesn't ever want to get married. He basically says this is why we love what we do because you don't have to. You're just constantly touring. It's new people. And this is where he jokingly calls her Leslie as a way to like, yeah, yeah, yeah new people, whoever. Yeah. <laughs> I love that she grabs his finger and like bends it back. Yes. I, I love that they're like playing with each other like this. Mm -hmm. It's so cute. Yeah. Very fun. So they get back to his flat and they're like pushing the door in, making out like. Oh, yeah. Ideally to just tumble onto whatever flat surface they can. But James McAvoy and his foursome are there. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's amazing. And it's funny because at first it's just James McAvoy and the girl he met at the sports betting shop or whatever. At the but bookie then store. Yeah, the bookie store or whatever. And yeah. then a dude pops out with a pizza with no shirt. And then there's another girl. And you're like, what is happening in this? Yeah. <laughs> and the guy's like, I only ordered four personal pan pizzas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but this is when James McAvoy's girl starts trying to take a picture of them together. Right. And right. like she's like, it's just digital. It'll be fine or whatever. Which I don't know what why it would be fine that it's digital it's or digital. not. It's digital. Yeah. Yeah. And then so he rushes all of them out. And then James McAvoy comes back in just to confirm that he did have sex in his brother's bed. And he might want to change the sheets. Yeah, yeah, he might want to change those sheets. I thought that was hilarious. I thought it was a crude joke, but also like practical. I mean, that's that's nice yeah. to tell somebody. It is. Hey, just a heads up. It's real sticky in there. And I also like that Chris and Dunn thought the whole thing was hilarious. Yeah. Like she just yeah, thought she, thought she, like, funny. she didn't get mad. Yeah, I like that. We cut to what is likely a few hours later. There's clothes all over the floor. They've clearly had a picnic on the carpet and they are in bed. They've clearly spent all day in bed. And Paul Bettany wakes up with with Kirsten Dutz staring at him. She is staring at him and kisses Paul Bettany and then goes outside and calls her dad. Mm. So she calls her dad and basically says, I really needed to do this. I'll see you at practice in the morning. Yeah. And then... This is where Paul Bettany comes in shirtless and sweats. And you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> yeah. You're like, listen, Scarecrow, you can get it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. We got that London face with the Iggy Pop body. 
so <laughs> they they work out together. They go for a run. Uh, they run ten miles. Yeah, yeah which sounds. Awful to me. Oh, that's not that bad. Did you hear when he was like, I've been running a long time and I got long legs. You'll never catch me. And then they start running. And he trails her the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and she even says, why are you behind me? And he's like, I got a better view. Like, it's re- yeah. it really cute. Even in these, like, throwaway lines, it's really cute. Well, and they get back from the run and they're kind of just on the marina. And he just kind of, like, side hugs her. And I was like, I get it. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, they go down below the board walk where they find an abandoned ferris wheel and a tennis court and also bumper cars i i got the impression that the tennis court was like run down no one uses it and they right. stored like bump like old bumper cars there yeah but we find out that this is where he first learned to play tennis and they end up playing kind of an imaginary tennis game which she narrates hilariously this is one of my yes. favorite scenes for her and he <laughs> says there's something i haven't told you this is my last tournament no matter what happens And she says, but you're doing so great. And he's like, yeah, but I just I would have to keep winning to like, I can't sustain this forever. My back hurts. (laughs) I'm an old man, Kirsten. I can't keep doing this forever. My spine is made of Pringles. Um, Yeah. So they look up and they see the comet. Yeah. Which, and in my notes, it just says the comet period. I think this is a metaphor question mark. (laughs) Then we see James McAvoy betting on his brother again. And we find out that he sold the photos of them together. And they're watching the news the next morning. They see her dad on the news and he's outside the apartment. I thought this was insane because they're just like, (laughs) They're like in the afterglow, like they've been boning all night. And then yeah. they're like, just flipping around the TV, just like having a lazy morning. And then they see her dad coming up the, their walk on the news. Yes. And they're like, no. So like she gets up and like he's putting his pants on and shit and she has to hide. I thought it was so, so funny. And he basically Sam Neill is like, hey, this needs to stop because she's falling for you. Yeah. Which is a disaster. Yeah. Oh, no, I, the the most charming part is when he's like, "Look, I know Lizzie likes to have her fun a lot," and he like, and then and then uh, yeah. Paul Bettany cuts to her like, "Hmm, yeah." Well, and she, and she even, she's even like behind the pillar, like, "Nah, no, no, that's not true." But, no, no. <laughs> so cute. But Sam Neill basically says, or, or I guess he argues, you know, you have to ask what Lizzie wants, and he says she wants what she's always wanted, what she wants more than anything, and implying that it's to win Wimbledon. Yeah. And she says, "I still want it. I want to win. I'm sorry." He says we got a lot of work to do and they leave and he chases after her and she says basically this is my decision we can have fun after the tournament and basically her dad confirms that she won't be at the hotel and to not look for her and to not look for her and if you're together she can't play yeah and i did like that she sets this boundary like she was there with him she made the choice to go there with him but when her dad shows up she sort of has this realization and makes the choice to leave and focus on wimbledon and she sort of sticks to it. I like- and she doesn't say we're never going to be together. She says, right. we'll see each other after the tournament. Yeah, call me in a week. And here's where the movie for me kind of gets worse. Because I want this movie to be these two characters learning that winning isn't everything and their profession isn't everything. Yeah, Because they're both kind of on the same track there. Right. Where And it, she rejects him because she's all about winning. And then, like, he was all, you know, he's trying to give it up to, like, have more. And, um... We don't really go there. And I think this it, it would have it would have been a really interesting story to tell 
where she cared less about winning because of him. Yeah. Uh, and and he he found happiness outside of his profession that he was scared of because of her. But because it sets it up perfectly at this point, like okay, right. this is the con. This it's internal conflict for both of them. Yeah. And we cut to the next day where Tom Cavendish, which is round four, I guess, is beating the shit out of Paul Bettany. <laughs> <laughs> oh, also in context, when this movie came out, a British person hasn't won Wimbledon in like a hundred years or so. I, I'm not good yeah. at tennis facts. So like so that's why everybody's like super excited about it. And Tom Cavendish is like the top ranked British pair, so he's like the best hope. Right. And at this point, I just typed into my notes, how am I only halfway through this movie? Because it's not a long movie, but a full movie's worth of shit has already happened. Yeah. Because I didn't know what was to come. So we cut back to Sam Neill and Kristen Dunster in the car, and she's listening to his game. Cavendish lands on his ankle. Essentially, he wins almost kind of by default because Cavendish can't really play on that ankle. Yeah, but he makes him play it out. Like, well, and yeah. Cavendish could have retired the match, but right. he decided to play on. But he does beat him because he's not hurt at this point. Right. Coming out of that match, there's a crowd of girls and his practice partner says almost everybody loves you <laughs> because yeah. essentially the UK is now torn where they were like Cavendish is our best hope. And now we only have this guy who <laughs> up until like this week lost to everybody. Yeah. So he walks over to Lizzie's match where she's winning and he talks to Ron. Cause again, same agent. Yeah. And Ron basically is saying, I'm debating whether or not like I'm torn between her and you and whether or not I should tell you where she is. And they both talk about her in a not a bad way. Like, he's like, yeah, she plays, she lives, like, she's so fearless, like, life and tennis. Yes. Yeah. And Ron's like, yeah, she makes a decision and she just goes for it. Yes. And so Ron does the same and tells him that they're at 32 Kensington Place, first floor apartment. Which I thought was a weird move. I, I, I still can see this is a weird move for Ron. I think so, too. I, I'm also not a huge fan of after her saying, wait until after Wimbledon, he still goes after her. Yeah, I agree completely. Yeah. But I think that's why he apologizes later. But we'll get to all yes. this. Yeah. He goes to the apartment. There's a dog. It was a very like Peter Pan moment where he's like climbing yes. the trellis or whatever. And the dog starts barking. And then he threatens to kill himself to yes. the dog. <laughs> and the dog somehow comprehends and leaves him alone. <laughs> yeah. Because dogs understand English, Todd. <laughs> Macy does not understand you. That's why she's crazy. She knows what I'm talking about. No, she does not. He says, I'll jump. Do you want that on your conscience? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Macy's like, uh, So he bursts into what he believes to be Lizzie's room, but it's Sam Neill's room. Oh, so yeah. he goes to the next window over and gets into Lizzie's room. She says, I need you to go. Well, first he says, I I can't go 24 hours without seeing you, it seems. Yes. And she's like, I've missed you, Peter, Peter. And, and like, so she had a chance to be like, look, I set this boundary. You need to go. Well, she does. She says, I need you to go. And mm -hmm. he says, people have fallen in love before. And she says, is that what we're doing here? And then she says, good thing you didn't go to the wrong room. And he says, I did. But your dad's a very quick shack. <laughs> I love that part. It was so funny. But I mean, he definitely just goes in that room and tells her he's falling in love with her. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is why later in the movie, when she finally says it, he's like, I thought I was alone in that department. Yeah. You know? yeah. The big L word. She's kind of into it. She like let him stay because of that. I think she let him stay. And it's implied that they had sex that night. So he kisses yeah. her goodbye and he's out the next morning before she wakes up. He goes back to his parents house at semifinals day, then back to Wimbledon. 
he's winning. Then we cut in between their two matches where he's winning, he's doing great, and she chokes. Yeah. I really loved the way this was shot and like told story-wise because we're seeing both of their matches, but we're hearing his internal monologue talking about choking and how he has to overcome what happened three or five years ago when he lost that he choked really hard in that match. Mm-hmm. And like John McEnroe is the PA or the announcer guy is talking about his last match where he choked super hard and all that stuff. So like we're seeing him overcome it, but then her fall victim to it at the same right. time. I thought it was really, really cleverly written. He only needs the one point, but he dives to catch to basically stop a ball from, you know, landing and he gets it, but he has thrashed his back. Yeah. This is where his mom climbs up into the treehouse because they're now both admitting that they're invested in his success and they want to know what happens. And this is where we find out that his dad killed the rabbits from his mom's garden and they are eating them. (laughs) I got teared up in this, in this scene because he's hurt. His mom and dad are like watching on the old, like black and white TV. They have in the treehouse or whatever. And he's saying, you know, get up, you'll be fine. Get up or whatever. And the mom says, he can't hear you and, and the dad, <laughs> the dad legit like takes a beat and goes he can and i like i like teared up a little bit i was like, I was like oh my god that's so sweet i love this man like he's the sweetest dad ever and Fuck. he he basically swallows his pain does the last shot and wins and she loses yeah and it is devastating for her Yeah, well, because she was expected to win, and she got out in the semifinals, yeah. So we cut to, he's basically at her apartment, and they're arguing, and she is furious. And, like, there's a part of me that's like, I get why she's mad. You know, she said stay away, and he came anyway, and she accuses him. She basically says, you had to screw me before the finals, that's why you're here. Which he denies. He denies, but it's a very painful and real fight. It is. Oh, yeah. And then she says the only thing you actually fell in love with was winning these two weeks, not me. Yeah. And I do feel like one of her lines of dialogue was like the pitch for this movie and the whole like love means nothing in tennis. It only means you lose. And I was like, that's what this movie was based on right there. (laughs) Like that fight. (laughs) Someone had that thought and then wrote this movie around it. Yeah, I think so. That's why it takes place at a tennis match. So as he's leaving, her father is watching her tapes and he catches it and he says she's dropping her arm too soon after the toss for her serve. And he's right. Essentially, I think that's a piece of, you know, for us where it's like he may not always be the best player, but he's. He knows the game, you know, right. it's it's not an accident that he's there. Right. I also feel like that's a turning point for Sam Neill to be like, maybe he actually is a pretty decent guy. Yeah. Also, they're having a knockdown yelling match about falling in love. Sam Neill is quietly in the next room watching videotape. Yeah. So he heard the whole argument. He hold, he heard Paul Bettany declare his love for his daughter. And then she being like, you only, you don't love me. You just love winning. And yeah. then. He has to just pretend he didn't hear any of that for the awkward march out of the apartment. Yeah. Yeah. But that's why I think Sam Neill sort of has weird but decent boundaries. Yes. He's a stage parent, but he grows out of it. We cut to Paul Bettany's getting acupuncture, and he's (laughs) kind of over it. He's like, my back hurts. I lost the girl I love. I'm not feeling it. And Ron, his agent, is like, you're the new spokesperson for (laughs) Frito-Lay. Their chip is called Surprisingly Zesty, which is honestly, I dig it. I I would like to be known as Surprisingly Zesty, so that's great. 
I like this part because he's super depressed and upset, and he's got you got Jamie Lannister and the agent, and they're all just like broing out like you can do this guy. I know you're really sad, but you're you're a great guy. You got, you got this. My favorite is he's like I could take another dozen of those. What do you call them? Cucumber sandwiches. Brit's got a name for everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that later in that scene you see Paul Bettany climbing out of the bed with Ron and Jamie in the bed like they were they all slept in the same bed that was so funny and this is where the comet disappears yeah so he sneaks out the luggage door but the paparazzi finds him yeah he drives to her apartment but the dog is there so he goes back to his parents house where he walks in on his parents having sex the thing that they kind of set up the first time he went home is what actually happens in this scene (laughs) okay which Listen, I've never done that, but like, I think that that would be a horrible thing to walk in on. And then they offer to be like, make him breakfast. Yes. I wouldn't want to have stopped my parents from, you know, having sex and then have them make me breakfast. I could take some eggs. I'm not going to turn breakfast down. Yeah. Mikey, what is wrong with you? I'm not going to turn breakfast down. Like, well, I definitely don't want them to like go back to having sex if I'm there. I, I mean, would like, just be like, listen, I'll go to Denny's or whatever the Denny's version of that is in the UK. And then see you guys in 20 minutes. Bye. Yeah. You know. He does offer to leave. And they are like, no, just have breakfast. The, move, the, the moment's ruined. Yeah. <laughs> well, and this is where his dad kind of sits down with him and is like, hey, my your mom and I's relationship wasn't great but we kind of bonded over caring about your journey over these two weeks which is a little weird but whatever and it's kind of brought them back together and they have kind of like a family breakfast that morning where they're like we should all do better to love and support each other without judgment and as she's saying without judgment she yells at james mcavoy to like stop biting your fingernails a toast (laughs) to the family (laughs) yeah so this is the part where we usually talk about Will they still be together after this? I definitely think the family will still be terrible after this movie. Oh, yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Like, I was like, this whole talk is BS. And I don't even think Paul Bettany is buying it at this point. I don't think so either, but he does give them tickets. Yes. Well, because this is where he's like, I don't believe in luck, and I'd love for you guys to be at my last game. Well, he says, he even says, he's like, I'm probably going to lose this match, and it's my last professional tennis match. I want you guys there either way, right? Yeah. And then then James McAvoy, not to be outdone, says, oh, so the other guy's the good bet? (laughs) So so what you're saying is Jake's the safe bet then? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So- uh, right after the breakfast, Paul Bettany goes up to his bedroom in his parents' house, and his mm. dad comes in there, and they have like this amazing, amazing, sweet conversation where his dad talks about how proud of him he is, and how like you know we've always known you've had this in you. Like I, I, th- I started crying during this scene because mm. this really reminded me of my dad, who was like I benefited from having a dad whose dad, my granddad, was a horrible dad. So my mm-hmm. dad was amazing at telling all of us kids like how much he loved us and how proud of us he was. And man, and I lost my dad in 2017. So like that is just that is such a gift to have known that my dad was proud of me and loved me and stuff. Aww. So like thinking of all like all of those things, I think I cried more in this scene <laughs> at the end because it just made me think of that again and just really like be grateful for that. I don't know. It was, but it was so sweet. I see why you love that, but I definitely think that that dad was not going to say that unless he was winning. So I, think, <laughs> so I, I don't think Paul Bettany really felt what you were feeling. 
I mean, you're probably right. Yeah, that's fair. It's finals day. The next day, he's back at the hotel. He walks off the elevator, and the entire hotel hotel staff are cheering for him. And my favorite is the guy who's like, an Englishman in the finals. I would love it. And then we cut after, and he's like, I don't even like tennis. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. So we cut to Lizzie, and they're watching the match, and they turn it off while they have breakfast. Yeah, but they're clearly, like, packing up to go home, like, to leave London. And the dad's interested in it, but Lizzie's like, turn that off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think this is where we start to see that her dad was like, "Eh, Peter's not such a bad guy, and I'm going to kind of keep an eye on this. So (laughs) I have to know how close to the airport their like Airbnb was because his interview with that reporter starts when they're like about to leave the house oh, right? and that it's still no. going when they get to the airport. This is just because Todd, like myself, has been to London and London Heathrow yeah, Airport Mikey. is like an hour and a half away. Oh my God. There's a lot of high roads in London. Yeah. Heathrow ain't no joke. Ain't no joke. And it is way outside the city. It's like a pain in the ass to get there. So I guess the interview was going on for four hours. Well, maybe they just were playing the, playing clips over and over again. Maybe. I don't know. Because his interview was pretty controversial. Anyway, so she, <laughs> she they get to the airport. She leaves to take a walk. And her dad's like, well, the flight board's in half an hour. And I was like, it's an international flight. You wouldn't go anywhere. You would just stay no. right there to make sure you don't miss it. Yeah. Um, But so as she's walking through the airport, he's on every single screen. And this is where he gives his interview where he basically is like, you know, the reason I've been winning is love, love of the game. But also he basically professes his love for her on TV. I love this part because the famous tennis player, she's like really famous. Yeah. And she like works for HBO Sports. She's like, why do you think you're successful? He's like, love. And she's like, love of the game. He's like, yeah, but also (laughs) more in the traditional sense. (laughs) Yeah. More like actual love. Like Lizzie is the reason I'm here today, he says. Yeah. Yeah, well, and and he says, she didn't let me down, I let her down, and I will be truly sorry. And Sam Neill watches it and is just like, oh, shit. And he basically goes to get Kirsten Dunst to be like, you need to watch this. And he finds her watching it in the airport. She's just like sitting next to this child with a handheld TV and she's like creeping over his shoulder. (laughs) I thought that was pretty funny. This is where I started crying and then immediately stopped crying because there was another half hour of movie that was just tennis. (laughs) I did cry during this too, yeah. Yeah, uh, we cut to his friend who's basically, I have a new theory about tennis. About tennis, You hit the ball back over the net as hard and as deep and as often as possible, <laughs> which is just like, okay, that's like saying, I have a new theory about life. You get rich and then you die. Like, <laughs> there's just no details. Uh, they offer him the number one dressing room, but he says that he'd rather stay where he is. I like that. Mm-hmm. His family and his agent are there. Well, and his agent has both the flags. Has both flags because he, he represents both, both players. Both of them. Yes. This is like an agent's wet dream because he's like in the finals of Wimbledon. No matter who wins, he wins. Right. Like mm-hmm. it's he's just there to celebrate. He doesn't care about the match. Yes. So he walks down the hallway with the other guy, Jake. Jake says, "I tried to warn you about her. How's yeah. the week back?" And he just says, how's the weak mind? Which is such a terrible insult. No, I liked it. I thought it got inside his head. No, here's what you got to do. He punched him in the jaw and he fell over. He should have been like, how's the weak back? I've been like, how's the weak jaw? Mm. (laughs) That actually would have been good. Yeah. (laughs) It's 
right there. It's set up in the movie. Yeah, you're right. I like it. Yeah, I might have gone with something like, it was fine. I was on it all week with your girl. Like that, like... (laughs) (laughs) So they get to the set. Jake, I guess his last name is Hammond. Jake Hammond's going to serve. Yeah. And this is where we see that uh, Paul Bettany has the same ball boy. Yes. And the serve, so Jake's first serve literally knocks the racket out of his hands. It's 100, 144 miles an hour. The second serve hits the caddy, and that would have like broken that kid's jaw, I think. Well, it hits him in the eye. It gets a big black eye. Yeah, maybe that kid would be blind after. <laughs> what the movie sets up is that Jake doesn't give a shit about the, the ball boy being hurt, but Paul Bettany does. Well, yeah, because he literally did the same thing that Lizzie witnessed, and he carried that girl off the court when he had done it. But Hammond doesn't care, Jake or whatever his name is. Yeah. Oh, I think this is just a way to center him as like, this is who you are. You're not that guy. You're you. Right. I do like that he, at this point, like, he's like, oh, you're going to take my good luck charm from me too? It's on. And then he yeah. still starts losing. And I thought that that was really funny. <laughs> that was pretty funny where he was like, this ends now. Nope. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Nope. I guess I guess I'm screwed. Yeah. <laughs> That's my internal monologue when I'm doing something and I'm, fa- I'm like, all right, but this is it. I'm going to get this. All right. This is all right. Well, maybe not. One more maybe time. Is, Let's try it again. <laughs> this is not going the way I thought it would. <laughs> so uh, the game goes on. He's continually losing, but then it starts raining. So play is suspended. Yes. And he's down like a lot. This is where Paige is right. I don't know what break points are and shit like that. It gets really technical. It goes from like a tennis as the theme to like real in-depth tennis and this stuff. So he's like two and a half games down at this point. There are a couple sets into the third game. So there are a couple of games into the third set. Okay, sure. So it's game, set, and match. And you have to get, I think, to six games to win the set. And you have to win by two. And then in men's tennis, you have to win three sets. So you could potentially have end up playing five sets if you're both really, really good, right? Well, and, and that's basically what happens where yes. he's about to lose because this is about to be the third. They're halfway through the third set yes. is where we come in. Yeah. And he's lost all of them so far. He's lost all of them so far. And he walks into the locker room and the locker room guy that again told everyone that it was their year earlier in the movie. <laughs> he like tries to talk to him. Yeah. He says, I'm, I'm not really in the mood for a pep talk. And he says, well, get ready for one because Lizzie is in the locker room. Even before she spoke, I started crying. Oh, I, <laughs> I here's the thing. I, I did OK until she says. Don't apologize to me. I love you. Apologize to them. And I was just like, no, oh yeah. yeah, she's right. He's a spineless dick. Oh my God. <laughs> but she's basically giving him a pep talk and she tells him that she explains the serve and basically how she, how he can break that serve. Yeah. And in part because I think she's practiced with Jake. Yeah. So I think she knows. I mean, um, they at least hooked up at one of these tournaments. We know that. So they right. probably hung out together for like two or three weeks at one of these tournaments. So she would know right. that stuff. Oh, yeah. 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 What, what I would like about this scene is if she would have said, I'm going to love you no matter if you win or lose, but I really want you to win. And yes. this is how. Yeah. But instead she's like, you need to win. Yeah. She's like kind of, she kind of double down on it. She does. But this is also, we cut into the audience where his agent is on the phone with somebody because he represents both of them. And he's like, which one do I want to win? That's like asking which one of my kids I love more. It's my daughter. Okay. We're going back to play. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> so Hammond is serving. 
and he manages to return the serve and the little ball boy comes back and he's okay and he's going to finish out the set or whatever. So we cut to the TV room, basically the broadcast room, and they're honing in on Lizzie in the audience. Yeah, because this is when she comes into the stands. Yeah, to Mm -hmm. basically imply that she's his good luck charm. This is also where we cut to Sam Neill is listening on the flight. So he flew back or he was just like, right, he just said, go get him, honey. I'm going to enjoy business class. (laughs) And also, how the fuck is he listening to the radio on a flight? I have no idea because this is 2004. I have no clue. I, I know the plane hadn't taken off yet. I don't. I mean, like, I know that's how this would work today. But yeah. like, he's there with like champagne and like, great show. Uh, <laughs> now, the next ten minutes of the movie are the most agonizing minutes of this movie. Oh, I loved it because I I can, I can recognize the drama that's happening because I understand sports. So let me just like really quickly, I'll explain yeah. it and explain to you what what's going on. So like, okay. he breaks Hammond's serve, right? So now right. he has control of the match when it's his turn to serve again he ties it up at sixes in the third set right so it's literally he brings it back from championship point for Hammond to where now he is pulling it into a tiebreaker to win that set so Mm -hmm. it's going like a point counts like a game right and you have to win by two and he eventually Uh does go back from championship point for Hammond to even to advantage him and then he wins because you have to win by two points yeah because they end up at I think five sets They do, yeah. But this is him winning the third set right here, right? During that drama, you hear the Nokia phone go off. Yes. (laughs) And then it's his agent, because you see Ron bend down with his hand in his blazer pocket. Yes. And he puts the phone to his ear. You can totally tell it's him. I thought that was hilarious. But anyway, so he does come back to win that set. So now it's two sets to one. And, you know, he starts to to win, more or less. Right. So he starts to win, but then we eventually get to where it's, like, match point. We sort of gloss ahead, right? Because when he comes back from that championship point to wins that set, he's still down one set. So it yada, yada, yada is over Pete, or Paul Bettany, winning another set. So now they're in a fifth set, and he... Like when the announcer comes back and sort of sets the stakes of where we are now in the match, mm-hmm. he says that, you know, it's tied sets and Paul Bettany has broken Hammond's serve, right? Paige, now that I've heard Todd talk about this, I agree this is terrible. Right? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can't help it if you don't know tennis. Anyway, so Paul Bettany gets up and walks to his side because they switch sides every ga- every match or whatever. And when he walks back over, that's when Hammond goes, uh, I'll break you right back, you asshole, as he's like yes. walking past him. And he's just talking about how he's going to beat him on his own serve. Right. But he doesn't. He doesn't. And well, and this is where I started to get really frustrated because I was already like, Meh. and I do want to say, not understanding sports doesn't always impact my enjoyment of things. I watched like six seasons of the league and I don't understand football. I love but- the league. Same. But this movie, no. I was like, I'm lost. <laughs> I'm so lost. So it's their last point, but he chokes. And then now it's the last point and he wins, but it's a bad call. And then they almost throw him out for unsportsmanlike conduct. Right. And then it's like the last serve. It's like he has to win this point, right? And then he hits it and it hits the net, which is a fault. And you can get two faults before you lose that point. So it literally goes down to like the last possible time he's allowed to hit this ball. And it's like infuriating because it's like what should be the last point takes like four minutes in the movie 
at this point, I'm just like, I'm waiting for him to win, which is a less good ending. So he wins. He runs up into the stands. He hugs his family. We find out that James McAvoy bet on him this time. Oh, he was definitely lying, right? Like, yeah, 100 percent. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> OK. OK, yes. Uh, he finds Lizzie and she basically says, I'm not going anywhere. And then there's this weird thing where it's like a globe hitting a racket, which is so dumb. And I'm like, why is this here? Oh, we've got to finish that line because she says, I'm not going anywhere. And he says, yes, you are. You're going a long, long way. Right? Yes. Yeah. Because he's like, I still think he retires here. I think this is his last match. Oh, he did. And then he supports her, right? But Paige, that's when we see the racket and it go from London to New York. Tennisportation. Yeah, which is super dumb. (laughs) So we find out that he does take a job at a club, but it's it's not the club that he was at. It's more of a like family club where he can teach his children to play tennis. And this is where it reveals that they're still together with kids and he basically is in the epilogue being like, my life wasn't over for not playing tennis. My life was still great. And then she goes on to win the U.S. Open and Wimbledon twice. Yeah. And that's, that's the, the movie. movie. Roll credits. I legit was wiping tears away from my eyes for like four minutes during the credits. Like it was so good. The epilogue uh, monologue. Definitely. That's where I tear up right there. Well, because now he's happy and has kids, Mikey. And I know just because oh, I know God. you that that's what you want. I think that's super sweet. OK, thank you. Uh, but okay, let me talk about alternative ending. Why I think it would be better because okay. I think Paige is okay. right. We take a detour to, to, to tennis land. I think it cheapens the movie. And I also think the themes are set up to be like winning and luck are the most important, and competitiveness is the most important, which is like the draw of their old lifestyle. So, and then like she she gets mad at him because of it. They have the whole talk in the locker room where she should have been like, love is actually more important, and no matter what happens in this match, I'm going to love you. And then if he lost the match and every and like you know Jake Hammond goes out celebrating and everybody's cheering him on, but the camera zooms in on them celebrating each other, like okay, well we're well, at least we're going to be together. I think that would have been a better ending. I also see a very valid movie where he doesn't win. And they don't end up together, but his life is still better for it. God, you are such a cynic. I can see it, Paige, but man, every movie you want them to not end up together at the end. Not entirely. I I mean, I think it just, I think the movie set it up to be that way. And when it's not, it's not really in sync with the rest of what we've seen in, in the movie. Because realistically, like, the odds are, if this was real life, they don't end up together and he probably doesn't win and he probably retires and has a very nice life but he's had an experience that makes him think that I could be okay without tennis but the rest of this movie sets it up to be like no you have to win and this is the most significant Wimbledon of your life so in a way this movie sets it up like his life is nothing without tennis yeah in the past like his life does not exist in the way that he enjoys it in the future without tennis i mean i see it it's just no one wants to see that ending when they pay to go see a movie that makes you feel good (laughs) here's what's terrible and um, we're not doing it this next week but like i'm gonna at one point when it comes back around to my turn after this next turn i'm gonna recommend a movie that has an ending that is not happy but is the right ending okay and you're gonna have to deal with it i guess it's because i 
don't get a lot of good endings in life that I like the movies to have good endings. I guess I just I appreciate when a movie is confident enough to have an ending that might not be traditionally happy, but is honest. And so I feel like there is value to being honest about an ending and having characters be okay and grow from it. Yes, I 100% agree with you. That's just not what I'm here for. <laughs> and I think I think that's what a lot of people like these movies for is that they get the happy the happy ending. Yeah. And for me, I don't care if he wins or not. So like the fact that he won, I was like, cool, that's great. That had no emotional weight for me at but, all. But but the epilogue, I was just like tears. Yeah, same. I here's the one thing I do like about the epilogue. I love a relationship where a man can appreciate and support a talented woman. Yeah. Even if she is more talented than him at yeah. a thing. I love that. I love setting that precedent. I almost would still be okay if he lost and they were still together. Because yeah, I same. do like your description of like everyone goes off with the winner and they're hugging because they won in the case of life, mm -hmm. not necessarily in the case of this game. I'm kind of okay with that ending. It's not my ideal ending, but I'm cool with it. Uh, I just wish I didn't have to sit through the tennis half match. An hour I know tennis. it ruins that too much. <laughs> <laughs> I love the tennis. Ruins you guys are everything. crazy. And honestly, they did a great job in these tennis moments. Like, they look like they're playing very, very well. Paige, I'm 100% with you. I don't like Todd talking about tennis. <laughs> you guys are dicks. He goes on for like five minutes, like, oh, break point and the match point. And the Do sense. you want to hear how they score shot put in discus? No, I didn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you write me a shot put in discus rom a romantic comedy, we can have that discussion, Paige. Uh, we'll call it Balls of Steel. But <laughs> I think that's already, that already exists. Yeah, I think that's already a movie. So I don't have a ton of money facts for this because it all checks out. <laughs> like I was trying to find stuff, but I was like, okay, so they make millions as tennis pros. The prize for this is a lot of money. They get endorsements. <laughs> they can afford it. Literally everything in this movie. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing at all to find. His fault version with. of being short on money is that his beachside amazingly awesome huge condo is not completely renovated right yes <laughs> but just to put it in perspective the winner of wimbledon uh, wins almost three million dollars it's like 2.9 million dollars and one thing that wimbledon does is they pay both the men and the women the same so he mm. would have made almost three million dollars but she would have made close to eight hundred thousand dollars because she went out in the semifinal round so she would have made a good amount of money too. So and they're all, they're both rich as shit. Like they both seem like they have family money. They're they're rich, you know. They're also he's a journeyman player, she's a pro, which means that this isn't the only match they're making money yeah. on. And that cocktail party they go to is for Nike and she's like kind of the guest of honor. Yeah, that makes sense. To a degree. So like so they've got ass loads of money. Yeah, I mean, like it's crazy. even if you go out in the first round at Wimbledon, you make like fifty six thousand dollars. And that's not even the reason to play like that is party favors because the real win is the endorsements that. Come yeah, from. you got that zesty chip brand going zesty chip Hell brand. Yeah. Well, I want you both to realize that these are the kind of movies that I love romantic comedies and I will probably make you watch more of them. If you if you make me watch Match Point, so help me God. <laughs> do, do we want to talk about box office? What do you guys think the budget for this movie was? Oh, God. I I think this is an expensive movie. It looks really good. Just, I'm not going to tell you, though. You got to guess. Just because there's a lot of extras. There's a lot of locations. There's fancy stuff. There's sports stuff. There's probably a lot of stunt doubles, too. 
I'm going to call this one 40 mil. I think this was made in the UK. So I'm going to say 21 million. Okay. All right. Page is closer. It's $35 million. Very on point, Paige. Congratulations. She's much, much smarter than you are, man. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> this movie came out September 17th, 2004. And when it came out, its opening weekend, it was number four at the box office. It was beaten by Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Do you guys remember that movie? movie? (laughs) Terrible Terrible. movie. It was like the first green screen complete movie. And it was terrible. It was terrible. (laughs) It was also beat by the number two movie that week that was Mr. 3000. Oh, God. The third movie that week was Resident Evil Apocalypse, which we should kind of end up doing on Horror Virgin. And then number four was, of course, Wimbledon. And then Cellular was the fifth movie that week. See, Cellular has endured as a cult classic. <laughs> oh, has it? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 like early, early Chris Evans. But Wimbledon in its opening weekend only made $7.1 million. That doesn't surprise me. Which is not great on a $35 million budget. It did go on to domestically make $16.8 million. And then internationally, and it doesn't surprise me that this made more money internationally because it is a UK-based movie, but it made $24.8 million. So it did make more than its budget at $41 million. But Mm. only just barely. The production budget does not account for the marketing of the movie, and a lot of movies spend a lot of money on marketing. So they may have lost money on this before you hit like DVD and Blu-ray sales. I'm sure it's made money since... 2004 but it didn't do great yeah it didn't do great but it was like a critical darling where critics loved it at the time and it was one of those things where it was like pulling teeth to get people to go see it oh such a crime yeah i think i mean i understand (laughs) i i loved the movie i thought it was great i would say as romantic comedies go this is one of the better ones we have done yes a concession that's not a very high bar to clear though man i mean i would say Cut the tennis out of this movie and it's great. <laughs> not not and by that I don't mean I don't mean all the tennis. I mean cut that last half hour of tennis to five minutes and we cool. Yeah, but that's box office. It says that they're still together. Do we but you agree with that? You think they're still together? I think they're still together. I do too. It sets it up in the in that epilogue that he is a very, very supportive husband after he retires. So I, I do think mm-hmm. that they're still together. Yeah. Do you think those children are tennis prodigies? Yes. Absolutely. I definitely think they are. And they're going to have that thing where their mom is super attractive and their dad's super ugly. So they're somewhere in the middle, which is probably a sweet spot. <laughs> Their dad is their dad is only ugly in certain lights and when he is sweaty. Yes, that is true. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean when he walks in in just those sweatpants, I was like, I get it. Yeah. So this week, Mikey made us watch Wimbledon. Paige, what are you making us watch next week? Yeah, I'm excited about this. Me too. Next week, we're watching Ever After. Oh, <laughs> damn. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 I have not seen that movie in like 15 years. But you have seen it. I saw it in theaters in high school. It holds up. Does it? Wait, just to make sure I remember this. This is Drew Barrymore, right? Yeah, Drew Barrymore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's basically Cinderella though, right? It is Cinderella. Yeah, okay. I remember this movie. Yeah. I remember really liking it in high school. I remember nothing about this. My dad (laughs) texted me like last week. Because he, my mom, and my sister were watching it together. And they were like, this just makes us miss you and wish you were here. I love your family so much. Because this is so fun. 
<laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Will they adopt so, me? <laughs> yeah, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, so Ever After next week. And it's been hotly requested in the Facebook group. So I feel like this is going to be a fun one. Nice. Well, mm. just like we say every week, your homework this week is to get wine drunk and watch <laughs> Ever After. <laughs> <laughs> Do we want to read a review? Oh, yeah. Mikey, oh. do you have a review for us to read? I didn't even know we were going to do that, but yeah. I'm sure. just saying we should. We should start. Yeah. If you want to have Mikey read your review, leave us a five-star review on iTunes and leave leave actual text so Mikey can have something fun to oh, read. We are up to 81 ratings. I know. That's amazing. That's, We've been out great. less than a month. I'm super happy about this. Carrie45205 says, you had me at hello. Aw. I love, love, love you guys. Oh, that's three loves. That's one for each of us. Oh, <laughs> you must really mean it. You have me laughing out loud the whole time. Keep up the great work. Can't wait till the next episode drops. Whew. Five stars. Well, thank you so much, Carrie, for that awesome, awesome five-star review. And if you guys want your five-star review on the podcast, leave us a review. And listen, if you guys like the sound of Paige's voice, she's on like nine different podcasts. The Cult Podcast. <laughs> yeah, which you guys should check out black card rehab as well. And then of course the podcast that we all do together called the horror virgin where we do pretty much the same thing, but for horror movies, but for horror movies and Paige, where can they reach out to you online? If they want to send you funny dank memes or whatever, if you want to send me the dankest of memes, (laughs) you could send those to at rampage Wesley on Instagram or at page Wesley on Twitter. And Mikey, where can they find you online? M Randolph 24 on all the socials. And I am at Todd J. Awesome. The show account is at Romancing the Pod Show, right? Yeah, at Romancing the Pod Show everywhere but Twitter because Twitter has a character limit. And so it's at Romancing Pod Show, S-H-O, on Twitter. Do we even really use Twitter? Like, we never do anything with that. We don't because really people should be emailing us at our email, sexymonocles at gmail. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. It's romancing the pod show at gmail.com. Yeah, don't give away my dating profile name, sexy monocle Mikey. <laughs> oh, sexy monocle Mikey. It's magical monocle <laughs> Mikey. You gotta you gotta play the alliteration, Mikey. Oh, okay, gotcha. Never. Ever was there ever a man so clever as magical monocle Mikey? <laughs> That's oh. a joke for a handful of people. Well, I loved it. That was amazing. Oh, All right. God. Thanks for listening to Romancing the Pod. I'm Paige. I'm Mikey. And, and I'm Todd. Me. Oh, fuck you, Todd. Oh, I didn't realize you were going to say something. This is my new catchphrase. We'll do it again. And I'm Mikey. God dang it. What would I say? What did I say, Paige? And you complete me. Line. And you complete me. <laughs> I'm Mikey and you did I Oh my you, God. And, you, and I'm Mikey. <laughs> and I'm Mikey, you can I can me. smell the pork ribs, Mikey. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Mikey and you complete me. And I'm Todd and you complete me. Oh no. <laughs> to completion. completion. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Have a great week.